0: And I think that's kind of what I'm looking forward to about this job. The food style and things like that is I'm looking forward to just just stripping it back a little bit. And, and for me, that's going to be, I think that's going to be more of a challenge for me.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As many restaurants have folded, struggled or adapted to change, there've been some new openings too at a time when opening a new restaurant seems a little crazy to conceive. But these new restaurants are bringing new energy, a new focus and knowledge to build stronger businesses out of the toughest time for hospitality ever. Joel Bickford is the new culinary director of Fort Denison and soon to be open Shell House in Sydney's CBD. Joel, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Good. You're a uh, about to or trying to open a new restaurant, uh, a bit of a lockdown landed. What, what's it like at the moment in this climate, preparing to open a new restaurant? Um,
0: yeah, it's it's fraught with sort of uh, lots of challenges. Obviously, um, obviously being new to the to the company is is you know a challenge in itself and a new role, but also the fact that it's not just a new um, a new venue, it's actually a build as well. So, we're not just, it's not just, you know, a lick of paint and a new name. It's, uh, we're sort of opening, uh, three, three venues across the whole building. So, certainly, certainly a lot to do, even in the best of circumstances. So, you know, not having access to, to the site and construction being put on hold off and on with COVID restrictions. Um, yeah, it's, You know, I mean, they're they're, they're like large-scale problems that, like, owners and that are facing, and I'm, you know, I have my own as as the culinary director and, you know, all sorts of things, trying to recruit staff things, for, you know, positions that kind of don't really exist at the moment because everything's been put on the back burner or sort of for the moment anyway, but we still need to be, the wheels still need to be turning behind the scenes. So, yeah, uh, plenty to do not really in a position to kind of execute those plans right at the moment.
1: You've been involved in uh, many award-winning restaurants, but what's it like preparing a new restaurant given the climate of the the industry in the last year and a half? Are you approaching it quite different to previous venues that you've been in?
0: Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, we're anticipating, you know, a market ideally because you know based on the last COVID um you know we when I was back at Aria, we, we saw you know a real resurgence people were keen to get out there and really you know dip their feet back in the industry again and, and support the restaurants and that so we're hoping that's the case again um we don't really obviously there's you know there's lots of challenges in relation to um you know square meterage and things like that and uh, you know, how many people you can put in lifts and those type of things which we are gonna to have to look at because ours is spread across three floors um, from ranging from basically underground to rooftop. So, um, you know, getting the, getting the staff, suppliers and the guests around in a sort of a uh, compliant fashion. Uh, as well as being trying to be able to create an experience for them as well is um, doesn't um, doesn't come without its challenges. yeah, so but the, you know the the basic sort of nuts and bolts and and you know what I've sort of based my career around, I guess is, is producing menus, dealing with suppliers, training stuff, producing an experience and that is is still very much the same. It's just more the logistics, I guess.
1: You've run kitchens that have really been at the forefront of the sort of new wave of modern Australian dining in Australia. How would you describe the food that you've been creating that we'll see at Shellhouse?
0: I think Shellhouse is going to, be, it's going to be a little bit different, I think, to what um, people might know my food style to be. I mean, it'll still be very much me, but am going to be taking on some new cooking styles, um, which is kind of exciting. We're going to be using like a nice big Argentinian, like a two-meter charcoal grill, which I'm really excited about. I haven't, I haven't done a lot of that, to be honest. So, um, you know, we'll be doing lots of whole whole sort of uh, beast cooking, you know, whole fish. Vi- you know, whole crabs, um, maybe some rotisserie work. Um, but there'll still be like really a very light touch across the whole thing as well. So... We've got a little test kitchen going offsite, um, you know, um, exclusive for uh, uh, Shell House and Fort Dennison. So that's where I'm kind of where I was until New South Wales locked out. Um, just been sort of tinkering around in there, coming up with some ideas and working very closely with the group chef and um, yeah, just basically work, workshopping ideas more than anything at the moment, just because of the hold we're in. Um, Yeah, but look, it's going to be a little bit more pared back than you've probably seen my food before. Still sort of distinctly my style, but just with... um, I just want to try and make it really effortless and um, beautiful. A bit more of a share style and like very social food, you know, that um, can be enjoyed, you know, by two or ten. So it's, uh, it's going to probably have a little sort of a European twist, you know, the building is this amazing uh, sort of Euro Art Deco style, so lots um, of nice outdoor terrace, very light-filled dining room and, you know, very very luxurious but very approachable as well, sort of very welcoming and, you know, the sort of place we want to create somewhere that, you know, you can come two or three times a week or special enough to to come for the big occasions as well. So, yeah, really looking forward to it.
1: What was food like for you growing up?
0: Um, Super basic. Um, When I was a kid, I was, you know, I grew up in the Blue Mountains, very working class family. Um, Four kids in the 80s. I was born in the 70s, 74. So, um, you know, mum was at home for the first Ten years, I suppose, and then she started working after that. But it was super simple. It was, you know, very quintessentially eighties Aussie, like meat and three veg, chops and veggies. You know, five nights a week. It was pretty uninspiring, but it was, I quite liked the routine. I quite, I quite liked knowing what I was going to get. It was, you know, back in the early eighties, like things like. You, don't, you just didn't see really things like stir fry or thing even things like that that are just like commonplace you know even ten years after that but you know back then that was like you know what's a walk sort of thing um so it was it was pretty pretty rudimentary to be honest but um you know my mum had a pretty small repertoire but what she what she did she did well you know um you know, chops and veggies. Apricot chicken was about as exotic as it got. But um, you know, like I said, it, it was it was always tasty. I get to get my hands in the kitchen a little bit. Would get things prepared after school for her um, when when she was working. But um, I guess I didn't really see much about food. I didn't really look at food in any way until I went to school, and that was you know German and French class, and they make you do. You know, cook a dish from each country or whatever, and I remember doing sauerkraut, and that was um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty ordinary, or you know, French. but you know, it was very basic, and like back then in the 80s, like that's, you know, in Australia certainly that's what, you know, certainly that's what I thought foreign food was sauerkraut and French onion soup. You know, you didn't really know any better. You only any way you would know any different was what you saw on T V, Keith Floyd or whatever, someone like that, you know, Peter Russell Clark or or something like that. So uh, I certainly didn't have a great exposure to um, you know, a huge variety of foods.
1: Well what lured you to a career in in hospitality and do you remember the the first sort of time you worked in a commercial kitchen?
0: Yeah, I do. I was fourteen. Um I took uh, just looking for after-school work. So I was looking for to make money like all kids. I think I was 14 and just walking up and down the street and basically just asking for a job doing whatever in any any place after school. It didn't have to be a restaurant. I would have worked anywhere. And, um, yeah, by chance, a Chinese restaurant took me on. Still there today, the Chinese restaurant. And, yeah, and... Um, you know it was you know, I thought it was awesome. I thought I was just unreal, like fourteen in this kitchen, I was just washing dishes, so uh, you know, no dishwasher, just all by hand, and it was it was a pretty crazy place, you know, really loud, and I was a super shy kid and like very reserved and being sort of thrust into that environment where it was really loud and sort of raucous and, you know, everyone was moving 100 miles an hour, people going through swinging doors and deliveries coming in and people yelling and just stuff everywhere, basically. Um, Yeah, it was very foreign to me, but but I did like it, you know. I I enjoyed the buzz of it, and so I did that for a couple of years, um, just after school. I was only working, you know... Friday and Saturday night. Um, I was getting paid $9 a night. And uh, why did I give up my Friday and Saturdays for $9 a night? I'll never know. <laughs> um, but they used to give me... There was a little uh, Mongolian lamb kicker at the end of the night they would give me as well or something. So that was that was always pretty, pretty cool. I thought that was good. And I never got out too late. I could always still go to parties and stuff, so it wasn't bad. But, yeah, I guess that was... You know, my first sort of foray into a kitchen, but I did work experience at the Hilton in school, and that I got to see the whole hotel. It wasn't just chaffing it. I got to see everything from room service to front of house to the kitchens, and um, that showed me on a really big scale. That's the Hilton back in the day before it was redone. That was 1990, so, I mean, that was, yeah, a real eye-opener. Um so I guess I don't know. It wasn't like really by design. I just kind of every at every turn. I just kind of I don't know. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I guess I just you know had I walked into a mechanic at at instead of that Chinese restaurant, I probably would have ended up being a mechanic. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a bit like that. Um, I, you know.
1: In in the um, first sort of decade of your career, what was the real integral sort of pivotal um, moments that, that triggered your career career to sort of blossom?
0: Uh, first decade, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah. probably my first executive chef was Lucas Van Agten and uh, he was just someone that always just showed a real interest in me, would take me aside and just... Kind of uh, i don't know there's just those people in your career sometimes that you just know i've always got your best interests at heart and it wasn't just a worker to him so uh, he was my executive chef and i was i was a first year apprentice i was a panthers in the blue mountains which you know i thought was all awesome you know i get to watch a football game and all of that sort of thing i was only 16 at the time so you know a place like panthers was was pretty big to me and um, but I thought it put me in pretty good stead because it was it was quite a big place, and I got to meet Lucas. And um, eventually, you know, he, we would uh, he would end up taking me with him to when I went to go and open Astral in the city. So he was the one that really got me into the city, and would always uh, show me that there was just how much there was. Uh, in the industry, I suppose, outside of the Blue Mountains because I'd grown up in the Blue Mountains and hadn't really ventured into the city. So, I mean, you know, from a working standpoint. So, uh, I think once I made that move into the city and I started um, seeing seeing better places, working with better chefs and just seeing the opportunities a bit more, I think, and just opening my eyes a little bit Um that was when I really thought, oh, hang about. This is this is not just a job. This this can be more than this. This can be, you know, travel. This can be, you know, just so much more. And uh, yeah, that's what. That's I think that's when the flick switched from job to career for me. And once I made that decision in my head, um, I always just you know, I always wanted to work. I always wanted to work somewhere better each time, you know, or to challenge myself. So, um, not that, you know, not to say some places are better than others, but you can always take something out of everywhere. And, um, you know, my career has, has been, you know, quite diverse, really. I've worked in lots of different types of places. So,
1: One of the fascinating things about your career is, uh, the balance between hotel chefing and restaurant chefing has it, has it been a real different approach to the restaurants you've worked at in hotels compared to standalone restaurants?
0: Well, I think at standalone, you just there's just a bit more resourcefulness needed. You know what I mean? Um, the focus is is greater on the product, obviously, because that that is the primary focus. So you know, in a hotel, and I've worked in some good hotels, like the Park Heights was great, I really enjoyed my time working there. Um, you know, amazing properties, some great chefs have gone through there, Ross Lusted, Mike McKinney, Anthony Mitzara. um You know, it's just, uh, and, I, and I really enjoyed my couple of years there. So, um, I think there's a bit more distraction in a hotel, a bit more sort of outside noise, um, Whereas I think you can focus a little bit more on your craft in a in a standalone restaurant. Um, you know, you don't have rooms to worry about. You don't have room service to worry about. You, um, you don't really have the necessarily the perks or the. Sometimes you have better tools around you, like um, you know, you know, trivial things like uniforms and loading docks and you know, stuff like that. But. Um, I think I enjoyed more my time in standalone restaurants. I found there was a greater sense of camaraderie and, um, yeah, probably probably more focus, I would say, more focus.
1: Have you found the approach to cookery different in, in those sort of two different, very different offerings?
0: Well, I guess usually the people in, usually the standalone restaurants have a very um, uh, direct or definite uh, understanding of how they want to you know the delivery of their product whereas usually in a hotel it's a little more broad um, they're trying to cater to a, a wider audience to, You know, depending on where that is based so um, that's not a bad thing necessarily it's, it's each their own but I think certainly as my career progressed I um, found it you know I found it more important to select places that i I really wanted to work and the philosophies they shared, you know places like biota and um, Aria and places like that. so that I knew already going in that this is what they they stood for. there was not going to be no compromise and and you could become part of that.
1: Your career is also um, earmarked by. Um, all working all over sort of New South Wales in, in various locations. How have you seen regional dining change in your career? Because you've been a big part of, of that change and making that change.
0: Yeah, I think um I really loved working in the Highlands. I worked there for seven or eight years, I think, in total, between a few properties. Um and I think it just it just changes you a bit, you know, and I think Certainly, the way you think about things everything from you know the type of clientele you have to to how often you can get a delivery you know of something so i think regional uh, um regional dining has certainly you know while it's a bit more sort of limited and it comes with some some challenges but um it, it's really. It's a great way to work, and it's it's a nice escape for for people that want to to get out of the city, obviously. But um, I think it's certainly perceived now much better than it was. I think um, you know places, you know, like well, even Bray, or there's um, yeah, some great places down in in Adelaide, and like I said, the highlands, even down on the south coast of New South Wales now, there's some amazing places, or far northern New South Wales. It's just like they're they're really like leading the way in you know creativity, and you know they're they're much smaller those places, um, but they've got you know some of the top chefs in the in the country are working in these places, so um, you know I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know, I think it's, it's, a very, it's very enticing to a lot of people as to work there and, and to go there. So
1: Your career is also highlighted by um, a real sort of connection with producers and in championing the very best producers. Uh, what's, what sort of connections have you made over the years? Do you have any stories you can share of, of that connection that you've created?
0: I just think it's um, certainly, especially when I was in the Highlands, It was just so easy because it was like the producers weren't suppliers; they were our friends. So, and not friends as in they were our friends before that. They became our friends, you know, because we we were so involved in what they did. Like we would, um, you know, it was nothing to just give them a call and say we're in the car, we're going to come over, and you know what's going on and come over for a coffee or we would even just go and, you know, ride motorbikes on their farm. And so we would see them as people, you know what I mean? Like they weren't, which just made us more invested in what they did because it was just it was their livelihood. So, you know, I think it's, it is really important to have that, that connection and certainly um, makes, gives you a greater understanding and a greater appreciation of, of what, of what they do. I mean, you certainly want people to do that with with our own craft and to be that up close and personal with them and really be able to sort of share in what they do and champion it was, was very much, you know, a part of who we were, especially especially in the Highlands, you know, in particular, Biota. Uh, you know, some of those relationships we had there with Pecora Dairy and, um, you know, Ted at and Truffles and Redleaf Farm, all of these guys. So these, you know, they, they were really on the journey with us because we were kind of all sort of starting at the same time. Like We were just another supplier, you know, we are just another producer along with them, all, all sort of pushing in the same direction and, um, you know, and helping each other along the way, you know. So I think that's a they're great relationships to forge, and, you know, they're just, you know, people that I'll know for the rest of my life,
1: you know. During your time as executive chef at Biota, it won regional restaurant of the year. It was in the top 12 restaurants in Australia. You won two hats. What was it like being there at that time? Do you have any um, highlights you can share? Um, look, gee,
0: Biota was... Definitely the most sort of seminal point in my career. Um, I was yeah there for three years as the head chef, and I had met James earlier, a couple of years before, once he came back from overseas. And it was just... It was arguably the hardest place I've ever worked, just because it was... Um, you know, the commitment to quality and um you know it's its location it's um just oh, just just everything really like we there was no compromise there with anything it was a small team um it was it was quite hard to attract staff even though it's standing as uh, you know such a, a great restaurant um it was really um a special i was there and like i really Special place at a special time. I think you know. So um, I think would say James was probably the most influential person in my career, like, and a great friend. You know, um, but the team we had there was was great. Like we we were running like you know seventeen out of twenty restaurant on five people, and it wasn't a tiny restaurant. Like we could still do eighty on a Saturday night. So we had like myself, James, uh, Nicola Kocha, Josh Gregory, Ashley Kent. Um, you know, it was just this really super tight, small team. And You know, James would always call it our little cult. And he just, you know, James is a bit of a nut, like he's, you know, you're never gonna get anyone more passionate or dedicated. And obviously it was his own business, so he was, you know, he, he, You know, it was his life basically. So, you know, passion and sort of dedication were mandatory. And you know, if you didn't didn't have that all the time, you know, you you were found out pretty quick. So, um, yeah. Look, uh, it was the the beauty of it was, I think, it was just always evolving. You know. Um, Nothing was ever the same twice, really, so you're always constantly on your toes but and you're always always operating on a shoestring as well, so um you know James and his father owned that themselves, there was no backers or anything, so basically, if you wanted it, you know we would always try and make it first, and if we couldn't make it then we'd then we'd buy it so um. Yeah, just a really awesome place. You know, I got to, just to make some of my my great friends there. I got to travel the world with James. Um, stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, just our whole time overseas is just. But you know, we lots of things. You know, we got to just meet amazing chefs: Rene Redzepi, David Chang, Eric repair Just. I don't know, I think Biota was just a super special place and like I said, special place at a special time with a great bunch of people.
1: What was it like for you having spent so many years in the Southern Highlands to then move back to the city and run the gantry where, you know, you won Chef of the Year and so many awards, but was it, was it a challenge given, you know, such different offerings?
0: Yeah, very much so. I mean, it was, um, whilst we were in a hotel, we weren't, um blessed you know it was it was a small hotel. it was a struggling dining room that I sort of uh, took over um you know one thing with working in hotels you' don't, you know the staff are quite transient um they're usually um you know passing through or just kind of odd jobs so um, you, that level of commitment uh, this is more front of house than the kitchen the kitchen team I had was quite solid um, but yeah it was it was different and it was my first kind of real executive chef job in Sydney so there was a lot of other stuff that you know HR and meetings and um, all of the sort of trappings that come with being the executive chef that you know from coming from small town uh, restaurant, which whilst it was still a great restaurant, you know, it doesn't, uh, you know, the, the things are on much smaller scale there. So it's easier to control when we're in a restaurant. You've got, you've got breakfasts and functions and weddings and all, all sorts of things, room service and stuff. So it was really challenging. Um, I was looking to, when I originally started there, there was talk of me doing some consulting for the company, which was quite attractive, but they just never really panned out. So, um, but I guess the main main thing there was, it was just, um, how would you explain? It's a, it was a, a great bunch of people in the kitchen. I worked with my chef, Tom Gorringe, who I'd taken from um, with me, from the Highlands. So we'd been working at Echelot before that and then Tom had gone overseas for a few years. And we reconnected after Tom came back and worked at Bentley for, for some time. And then he came over with me and became my number two. So once Tom joined me, we really we really had a good team in the kitchen and a few other good pickups. And we, we got some traction pretty early there and um, we got a great front of house team changed it all around and I really enjoyed my time there it was um, really proud of, of what we did but certainly certainly quite different to working in the highlands um, yeah, there were some things that made it easier as well but um, yeah it, it, was a, it was a good job I enjoyed it it was just I think I probably just kind of outgrew that job a little bit. Earlier than anticipated, I was there for three years, and I'd been, you know, I had been um, chatting to Matt for a time. You know, we'd just in passing, Matt Moran, and the opportunity came up to to open Aria um, after their refurb in 2016. But um, I hadn't really been at at the gantry for that long at the time, so we sort of just put it on ice, and I thought I had a bit of unfinished bit at the gantry. So um, I ended up staying there another couple of years, and it was great. Yeah, we achieved we achieved quite a bit there, you know. So always, always, you know, yeah, doing well. I thought we were doing a really good product there with what um, kind of little tools we had to offer. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the world's most flashy kitchen and things like that, but it was um, certainly, I, th- I think I left it in pretty good shape. So I was i was quite happy with what, what we achieved there.
1: You've spent the last three years at, at ARIA, which you briefly sort of mentioned, and, and half of that has been a pandemic. What's it been like at the helm of one of Australia's most awarded restaurants during this time?
0: Um. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. It was that first COVID one was was a real um, a real hard one because you know we were running a kitchen with twenty, twenty seven chefs and you know and some KPs and we closed those doors with yeah with twenty twenty seven twenty eight and when we reopened uh, some months later, I think we reopened with twelve. So, um you know, a lot of them just because of the visa status at the time, um there a lot of them visas would just if they're on working holiday a six month, they would just finish up within that period. So um they would return home or or whatever they did or they went to do um their farm work or, or whatever it was, but um so it was it was actually hard to almost have a full team put together when we returned. And, you know, that's not the way you want to finish up anyway. And these people, were, you know, they were doing it really hard. Everyone was doing it hard, especially, especially the visa workers. So um, I, w- I was fortunate that I had a couple of years under my belt, you know, before that at ARIA, starting in 2018. And that was... Definitely my biggest challenge in my career, taking on the role at ARIA. Um, Not so much the food aspect. I was quite confident in my food, and that it was just translating what I've always done in a 60- or 80-seat restaurant to a much bigger venue. So just having to rework that and look and see if... um, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was was dumb down my food, or um, you know, Matt had, had brought me over for a, for a reason, and um, that was you know based on you know what I could produce, I guess. And um, I think we managed to to do well. I did have to augment it slightly, but I remember the first couple of Saturdays I was there. I think they were doing like 300 on a Saturday night and I was we out and I was like what what is this like it's crazy and like I wasn't even really kind of working in the kitchen I was downstairs and just doing um R&D on my new menu because I just sort of said look I need to get a new menu up and running um, I don't really have time to be on the line you know and it was still the old the old chef's menu and I you know I had some some um boxes to tick Away from the kitchen, and writing uh, the menu being one of them, and uh, so. But I, you know, would go up there on a Saturday night and see what they were doing, and it was just crazy. It was so busy, and it was like it was pumping, you know. But it was like a it's a well oiled machine. Area like, you know, it was didn't it miss miss a beat. So I, I was very conscious of okay, how 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 can I get my food to translate to this, and no it wasn't that hard, actually. It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Um, I probably had to make a few tweaks here and there, but you know it's all kind of relative to how many chefs you have in the kitchen and the systems they have in place, and those sort of things. So um, it was it was it was fine, really. Um, in fact we we got reviewed um, I think six weeks after I started and and we scored seventeen out of twenty, which was great because. That was, I think, the highest score I ever got. So it was a big, big weight off my shoulders.
1: You mentioned when you were 14, if you had walked into a mechanic, you'd probably be a mechanic now, but you walked into a restaurant, but you have built an incredible career. What, what is it you love about what you do?
0: Hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to, it's hard, to, hard to sort of pinpoint, I think. I think for me it's like... I just like being in in the kitchen with the guys and I just like the feeling the smell the you know working with your hands and I I don't think I could have ever been sat at a desk like there's obviously parts of that now that you know come with the job sort of thing but it's um it's just it's still very satisfying I think I you know if I wasn't a chef, I probably could have been a butcher or something there's something very satisfying about taking something whole and and breaking it breaking it down even if you know, even if you just i still feel it just fill it a fish now or something very simple like that it's very it's very satisfying and um and quite sort of primal I'm not sure the best way to explain it but and I think that's kind of what I'm look what I'm looking forward to about this job moving forward is that it's it's sort of just gonna be a little bit more simplistic. Not the logistics or anything like that. That's gonna be very sort of, you know, intricate. But the food style and things like that is I'm looking forward to just just stripping it back a little bit and, and for me that's gonna be I think that's gonna be more of a challenge for me, like which is because I think if I was in a position where I had to turn up the volume a little bit, um, I would probably find that easier. You know what I mean? Because I've been building to it. That's that's the way my, the momentum of my career has been going. But so not to to downgrade, you know what what I'm going to be doing. But it's like doing more. You know, really letting. Having nowhere to hide on the plate, you know what I mean, and just having that beautiful whole whole fish or or whatever whatever it is, but um, and just letting that sort of do its thing. So yeah, I'm excited about that.
1: Well, Joel, it sounds amazing, and we've loved hearing your story today and deep in the weeds. And look forward to seeing um, what you bring to the table at Shell House Dining Room when it does get the chance to open. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
0: Will do. Thanks, Anthony.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au dot au. Stay safe and be well.